Section 12 of the Roswell Report, Case Closed, by James McAndrew. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Aaron Bennett. The Roswell Report, Case Closed, by James McAndrew. Appendix C, Part 1, Interviews. Appendix C. Transcript of interview with Gerald Anderson, alleged first-hand witness to crash site 2, allegedly 175 miles northwest of Roswell. Footnote. Excerpted from raw footage used to prepare the video, Recollections of Roswell Part 2, Washington, D.C., Fund for UFO Research, 1993. End of footnote. Anderson. We drove down to the plains of San Augustine, which is west of Socorro, New Mexico, in the Magdalena Daddle area. We were down there looking for Bandit and Moss Agate, which, according to my Uncle Ted and my cousin Victor, was prevalent in the area. My brother, being an amateur rockhound, had wanted to get some of this. That was a way of showing us around the area. They had relatives down in Magdalena that they wanted to introduce us to. So we had gone down there, and we got down in the Horse Springs area and had driven off into the plains down an old rutted road for, oh, a mile or so, and it seemed like a long ways. We parked the car, got out of the car, and walked down a hillside. There's a semi-forest, I guess you could say. It had pin and trees and scrub oak and stuff like that on it, and we walked, well, not scrub oak, but cedar, and walked down the hillside into an arroyo a dry wash, and then walked south down a dry wash toward where the agates were supposed to be at. As we came around a bend in the arroyo that had pinon and cedar trees growing, we were able to see farther ahead down the arroyo, and on the next ridgeline there was a large silver disc-shaped object was embedded in this side of the ridgeline. There was debris and wreckage strewn about the area, mainly this thing was intact. I would estimate its size from an adult perspective to something like 35 feet in diameter. I've heard other people who were there say they thought it was like 50 feet, but as an adult, I would say about 35 feet in diameter, quite large. When we got up to it, there were four bodies there, not human. There was two of them that were obviously dead, one of them was obviously very badly injured, and one of them apparently suffered no ill effects or it didn't appear to be injured, and was ambulatory, was mobile. It was just sitting there next to the one. Question. Were they right next to the vehicle? Anderson. Right next to it, right under the edge of it. And this craft had apparently come in from the east and bounced off one ridgeline, plowing through this arroyo area and then crashed into the ridgeline and embedded itself. They were sitting back under the edge. It was kind of tilted up like this, and they were sitting back under the edge here. And I'm assuming that this one creature that was all right had laid this material on the ground, but it looked like unrolled tinfoil that these other three creatures were laying on. Like it was trying, like you do a person in shock, you know, put him on a blanket, that kind of thing. And apparently it had some boxes there around it and had apparently been trying to give first aid or help these other creatures when we first got there. As we approached, the creature drew back like this, like it was in fear, like we were going to hurt it, and it wasn't very long, you know, we were trying to communicate with it, the adults were. It seemed to calm down and just sat there and kind of looked back and forth watching them, apparently trying to figure out what was going on. Question. What did it look like? A little bit more. Anderson. 
These creatures, all of them were, oh, about four foot tall, four and a half feet tall. They had very large heads that were shaped larger on the top and they kind of tapered down. Not to a real sharp point, but just tapered down where they were thin. And they had very large, very large, oval-shaped or almond-shaped, I guess you could say, black eyes. The head, they were so shiny, they had almost a bluish tint to them when the light reflected off of them. Their skin coloration, the best way that I could describe that is it was kind of a bluish tinted milky white. It looked like someone in shock. And the ones that were laying on the ground were really, really looked more that way, more blue in the light, you know? Question. How about ears, nose, mouth? Anderson. No, there were no visible ears on the creatures except like, if you was just to cover your ear like this to where there was just a rise there, and then a hole without, you know, your earlobe and the rest of the area. Question. How about nose? Anderson. It was, the nose was very, very small, almost imperceptible. It's like two holes straight in, and the lips were just a straight line. It was like a cut and you couldn't see, just the lips like we have. It was just a slit. And, question. What hair color? Sound? Anderson. Pardon? Question. What hair color? Anderson. There was no hair. They were completely bald. Question. And no sounds? Anderson. I never heard a sound one. Not out of any of the creatures, including the one that was... Question. Did you see fingers? Anderson. Yes, they had fingers like this. They didn't have a little finger. They just had the thumb and three extra digits, except the center digit was longer, and the other two were about the same size. They were very long and slender and looked very delicate, and I made this statement before, and I'll make it again. I think he would have made an excellent violinist because of the structure of their hands. They were wearing one-piece suits. All of them were dressed exactly the same. It was sort of a real shiny silverish-gray color. Question. No zippers, buttons? Anderson. No, I saw no zippers, no buttons. Question. Insignias? Anderson. No, no insignias. The only thing that was different, you know, and they all had this, but the only thing that was different from the silvery gray thing, the suit, was that down like a seam line, like there was a seam on his shoulder, and around the collar it was trimmed in what appeared to be maroon, like cording. Then the suits were continuous with their footwear. We could see right this area down, it seemed to be less pliable than it was up here, like this was a stiffer area, like they were boots or shoes or something, but they were all dressed exactly the same. Question. Okay, so you and your family are talking back and forth, wondering what was going on. What did your family say? I mean, Anderson. Well, question. Did they say anything? Anderson. Yes. My brother, one of his first remarks I heard him say, that's a goddamn spaceship. You know, there were bodies up there, and, you know, I was told not to go up there, which I didn't, and... Question. How old was your brother at the time? Anderson. He was in his early 20s, I think. 20, 21, something like that. Question. He was a lot older than you were. Anderson. Oh, yes, considerably. When we got up there, I kind of meandered off to one side. 
this thing was cocked up and I was standing here. The bodies were here and everybody else was kind of down here except my cousin Victor was over here playing and looking in this gaping hole on the side of this disc. And it was shaped just like a discus except for a round dome was up on top and there was this big gaping gash in there. We could see inside and it looked like a double hole. Question. How big? Explain it. The gash. Anderson. The dome? Question. No, the gash. Anderson. Well, it covered the greater majority from the center of the craft out. It was just like a gaping hole in there. I mean, I'm thinking, you know, it's like about 32, 35 feet in diameter. So we're talking about 17 feet maybe. Most of that one side was ripped open like that. You could see inside and you could see another double hull, like in there. And there were just rows of components that was on there. And there were lights that flashed on and off. Some of them were steady and some were flashing. There was a lot of debris and stuff hanging out of the hole. There was evidence that there apparently had been fire. It looked like it had been burned along the edge there. The gash. Question. Now this wasn't a gash that could have been caused by the thing coming in for the ground. It wasn't at the leading edge of the vehicle? Anderson. No, no. This was in the side like it almost appeared it was elliptical. It almost appeared as if something the same shape as the disc we were looking at had hit that same, you know, like it hit the disc and left an imprint that pretty closely approximated the outside diameter of the disc itself. And it appeared to be caved in looking. Kind of like it hit them like this and it just crumpled and caved in and ripped it open. Question. Okay. So you're there, you take all this in, everybody is mystified. What were the circumstances outside? Hot? Cold? Anderson. Very, very hot. Incredible to me, being the first time in New Mexico and coming from back east. I had dry heaves. It was like the inside of an oven. It was unbelievable to me. You know, the odd part about this was that the closer you got to it, the cooler it was. And standing under it in the shade there next to these creatures' bodies, it was like refrigerated air conditioning. And, question, did you feel air coming out of this thing? Anderson, no, it was just like it was. And I remember reaching up and putting my hand on the side of it. But I think I was afraid I was going to hit my head because there was enough room for me as small child, you know. I was approximately the same size as these creatures. To walk up under there and stand there, but I kind of did like that, put my hand up against this thing. Question. What did it feel like? Anderson. It was ice cold. It felt like it just came out of a freezer. Question. Was it smooth? Was it rough? Anderson. It was very smooth. It had a very smooth texture to it. It was obviously made out of metal. It was very solid and it was very cold. Ice cold. And there was a smell in the area. It smelled volatile, acrid, like acetone. And that seemed to be coming out of that gash, that smell. But the closer you got to this thing, the cooler it was, so, you know, I kind of remained there. And I guess that while they were over here, my father and my Uncle Ted and my brother, Uncle Ted was trying to talk to this thing in Spanish, and of course it didn't understand a word he said, and Dad tried to talk to it, and then they tried, you know, sign language, and that didn't work. And I don't know, for some reason, I just, 
I reached down and touched it, this one that was laying next to me. When I touched it, I realized and I jumped back. It scared me. It startled me because I suddenly realized that these weren't dolls. I thought they were plastic dolls, and I, you know, it was still in my mind that these were dolls until I touched it, and then I realized, you know, this was a dead thing. I'd seen dead relatives before, and unfortunately made a mistake one time in touching a relative that was in a casket, and I just knew this was a dead thing, and it scared me. And I ran around behind my father and my uncle, and this thing was sitting there on the ground, and it kept looking back and forth. And it just had its hands like this in its lap and just kept looking back and forth between the three of them and like it was trying to understand. And all of a sudden it just turned and looked right straight at me between my Uncle Ted and myself. And this is when it was just like an explosion of things in my head. Things. I started, you know, feeling just terrible depression and loneliness and fear and just, you know, awful. Awful feelings that just suddenly burst into my mind there. I don't know if that meant that it was communicating with me and I was the only one there that it could communicate with because I was a kid. I don't know. I turned and ran and I ran across the arroyo and up on the area that it had bounced off of during the crash. I was just standing there looking down at this scene, you know, at my family, and off in the distance I could see cattle grazing. I could see a windmill and could see dust trails out on the plains out there. And oh, I was there for a while and then I came back down. I guess we were there, Victor was. When I got back down there, Victor was up in the craft and Ted yelled at him to get out of there and Glenn went over and grabbed him by the belt and jerked him around. Question. That's your brother? Anderson. Yes. And jerked him off, says... Get out because this thing may explode and kill us all, you know. And then, of course, he went prowling around in there. I was kind of standing off to one side looking. That's why I knew that there was... I can look off these rocks that I was standing on and look right into this thing. That's why I knew, you know, about the lights and the components and stuff. And then I heard other people talking. I turned and there was a group of people coming up the arroyo from out on the plains from the south. They had come up there, and of course they walked up and was talking. Question. How many? Anderson. There was an older man and five younger students. Question. Boys? Girls? Anderson. Three boys and two girls. And they were all, you know, introducing, talking to my father and my uncle and my brother. Question. What did the older one look like? Anderson. He was a very tall man, a very big man. He was wearing a pith helmet when he first came up, one of those kind of explorer helmets. And he was bald, and I know that because he had taken it off and he had, you know, wiped it with a handkerchief and put it back on. He was a balding man, and he had a round face. He was very ruddy-complected, a big man, and he apparently was a doctor because they kept calling him doctor, and it was my understanding that it was an archaeological group that was out there on some kind of summer thing. And they talked, and he apparently was able to speak several foreign languages, and he tried to talk to this creature several times in different languages, again to no avail. Question. How did they happen to be there? Had he seen the thing? Anderson. Well, they claimed that they saw... They said they saw this thing come down the night before in flight, you know, and they thought it was a meteorite, 
And they had talked about, well, early in the morning, you know, we'll go over and see this, where this meteor came down, because that's what they thought it was. And when the sun came up the next morning, you know, and they got about their business, got up and somebody looked over and said, you know, they saw this shiny metal and stuff across the plains there and they realized it wasn't a meteorite. It may have been an airplane that had crashed, so they all decided to go over there and see if there was anybody left alive, you know, that was hurt that needed help. Question. They had driven over? Anderson. No, they walked over apparently. The way I understand it, and it's quite a ways across that plane, so it had to take a very long time to do this, or they may have had a vehicle. I don't know. That's an assumption, I think, on my part, where they walked. Question. Okay, so they're around. Anderson. But they came across. Question. With the family. Anderson. The planes. I don't know why I said that. I'm not sure if they drove or not. I didn't hear any cars. Question. And then somebody else shows up? Anderson. Yes, they were down just, oh, 15, maybe 20 minutes tops, you know, and they were picking up things, some of the students, and then this Dr. Buzzkirk, that they called him, this one girl went up and said, look, doctor, wouldn't this make a beautiful ring? And she was holding what looked like a red rod, a red tube that was some kind of silvery red, and he kind of snapped at her, you know, put that down because you don't know what that thing is that thing could hurt you, don't pick this stuff up. And she kind of said, well, yes, okay, doctor. And then he went back to what he was doing and she walked away and put it in her pocket. And a lot of them were doing this, sort of picking up things and feeling things. I was picking up things and feeling things. It was all kinds of material and metal, stuff like that. I heard it, well, we all heard it, the sound of a motor coming, like a truck. And I went back up the incline area to the ridge line, and I could see out there, there was a truck coming up. It was an old pickup truck. It was sort of a beige color, a tan-colored van with an antenna on it. And it stopped, and this guy got out, and he's wearing brown clothes. He's got boots on, and he's wearing a straw hat, just like the kind that Harry Truman always wore. And he had wire-rimmed glasses. He was a big man, and he looked exactly like Harry Truman to me. You know, I'd seen him in the movie tone news. Question. He was president then? Anderson. Yes, I was well aware of who Harry Truman was. Everybody was. He was kind of a hero, you know, and he just kind of looked like him except bigger, bigger. You know, I don't think he, and he didn't look as old either. His hair was kind of light gray. And he walked over there and they got to talking, you know, with everybody and he told them that he worked out on the plains out there and that he made maps and that he had seen the wreckage from out there on the plains and he saw the people and he thought it was a plane wreck and, you know, that something was going on and he came over to see. And he hadn't been there but just a very, very few minutes when we heard all kinds of motors and engines straining and stuff. And here comes a military car with a big white star on the side of it, followed by a six-by, which is a military truck with a kind of canvas wagon, kind of a canvas thing over it, and it's full of soldiers. They've got guns. And right behind them is what we call a four-by, which is like a medium-sized jeep-slash-truck situation, and it had two big high-whip antennas. All kinds of radio gear in the back, and a guy back there with earphones and stuff on, and he's, you know working these radios, 
and they all pulled up and stopped. Question, which direction did they come from, do you know? Anderson, they came from the north, from the Horse Springs area, right? Question, so they could have come off the highway there. Anderson, oh yes, I'm sure that's exactly how they got there. They came off the highway the same way we did. Well, in the meantime, when they stopped, this black soldier, this sergeant, the reason I know he was a sergeant, my brother told me he was, and he got out of this car, and then a guy got out on the other side, and he was a... Glenn said he was a captain. He told me later he was a captain, and this guy had orange and red hair. So all the soldiers and them came running over there, pointing guns at people, telling them, get away, get away, get away, you know? And when this creature saw these people, the military, he went nuts. He went into an absolute panic, worse than what he did when he saw us. Question. Did he move around, or just his eyes, or... Anderson. He just... He just... Question. Oh, okay. Anderson. Went crazy, and it was like... Question. Like he was scared? Anderson. Yes, like he was looking for a place to run and hide. Question. But he never got up? Anderson. He never got up. He never left the beans that were next to him. And this red-headed officer, this guy was a real butthole. He made all the threats. He threatened to have people shot. Question. Everybody? Anderson. He went, get away, get away, you know. We'll shoot. Get away from there. This is a military secret. You know, just screaming and hollering. He told my uncle and my father that if they didn't want to spend the rest of their life in prison, they would never say anything about what they saw there. If they ever wanted to see us kids again, they'd take the kids away. They'd never see the kids, you know, meaning me and Victor, that we'd better keep our mouth shut because if we did not, this is what was going to happen. They were threatening people and pushing people. Question. The students as well as Dr. Buskirk? Anderson. Oh, yes. They were hustling everybody, and one of the soldiers pushed my uncle. He had a rifle like this, and he shoved him back like that. Well, that was something you didn't do to my uncle Ted. Ted had a violent temper, and he grabbed the rifle and reached over top and smacked this guy and dropped him right there. And Ted would go out and fight. Heck, this guy's a cowboy. He'll hit you in a minute. And of course, when he did, that there was bolts open and I guess cocking. They were cocking their rifles. They were pointing guns at people and everybody, Buzzkirk and Glenn and Dad grabbed him, you know, pulled him back and got him away. No, don't, Ted. They're going to shoot. Don't do that. You know, trying to stop this. And I think we came very close to having someone shot. Then they really started threatening, you know, and they... Question. Did the redhead do all the talking pretty much? Anderson. Pretty much, except once in a while the sergeant would, you know, chime in and make statements like that to other people in response to the redhead. But mainly, it was the redhead. Question. Was there a name tag? Anderson. Yes, sir, there was. His name was Armstrong. And I'm not sure if I know that from having read it, or know that from remembering it and now being able to read it in my memory, or if someone said that to me. But his name was Armstrong. It was right here on his uniform. Question. But he chased you guys away pretty quick? Anderson. Yes. Yes, he did. And they herded us up like cattle, and we were just up the arroyo, back in the direction we came from, over the protest of this Dr. Buskirk, who said, 
No, no, we've got to go the other way. We came from over there. I don't care where you came from. Get your ass up the arroyo. And they ran us up the arroyo and... Question. So you get to your car again? Anderson. Oh, right. Now they took us up the arroyo and just over the hill we came down. They broke us off and moved us up the hill. Now this whole time, no one has ever frisked us down. No one has ever checked our pockets to see if we picked up any of this material. And this girl, Agnes, still had that stuff in her pocket. And some of the other students had stuff. To my knowledge, up to that point, they had not been searched. Whether they did so afterward, I don't know. They never searched us, ever. They ran us back up the hill, and when we got to where the car was parked, where Dad had parked the car up there, there's a jeep with a guy sitting in the back, and there is a mounted machine gun in the back of this jeep and all these soldiers. The jeep pulls out. We're told to get in the car. We follow the jeep, and the soldiers go with us all the way back out to the highway. When we get back out to the highway, they set us right there. They wouldn't let us out of the car. They wouldn't let us move forward. I don't know whether they were making a decision or what. When we got out to the highway, this place was absolutely full of military personnel, military equipment. There was airplanes sitting out there that had landed on the highway. Question. Did you see any airplanes when you were back at the site? Anderson. Yes, there was airplanes in the sky, but nobody thought much about. You know, I don't think anything about it. I was used to airplanes being in the sky, having been raised in Indianapolis, Indiana, the home of the Norden bomb site, you know. The sky was always full of military aircraft at night. And when we get back onto the highway, there's observation aircraft, you know, high-winged aircraft. And there's one of what I know now to be a C-47 setting there. And how we didn't hear that land is beyond me, and how he landed... Well, of course, I guess you could land it if you were a good pilot out there as there were no poles or anything. And it was, they had torn the fence down on the north side of the highway and all this equipment was setting back up there. The plane was up there and they were taking stuff out of the plane. There was military ambulances and there were trucks with like wreckers, cranes on them. And there was tankers like maybe had fuel or water in them. There was just... Everywhere you looked, there was military. Question. A major recovery operation? Anderson. Yes, it looked like an invasion force. It really did. And they were all wearing these light khaki uniforms. They didn't look like, you know, olive drabs. They were light khaki, and they all had the same patch over there. That kind of blue funny patch with the circles on it was on his shoulder. And a lot... Question. Do you have a clue as to where they came from? Did your brother or your uncle? Anderson. No, I don't know where they came from. No, I don't think anybody ever ascertained that. There was a lot of MP patches, and some of them were wearing nightsticks off of these webbed utility belts. They had nightsticks, and they had 45s and holsters, you know, the automatics, full holsters. And these were the people that were giving most of the orders. They had the road barricaded off out there, and we sat there for a very long time, and, you know, we were getting thirsty and everything, and we asked if we could go back to Horse Springs to get some water. Oh, no, no, you can't through there. And right after that, they said, Now you just turn around, and you head out of here now, and you go to Socorro. And this is the redhead again. Keep your mouth shut, just keep going, and don't look back. Well, as we drove away, you know, Dad... 
the hell with it. We'll go to Magdalena. We'll get water in Magdalena, you know, because that's where John Trujillo lived, a relative of Ted's. And so as we drove away, I was looking out the back window and I could see Dr. Buzzkirk and these kids and that guy. The guy in the pickup was standing there and this Dr. Buzzkirk was doing just like this in this red-headed officer's face and he kept pointing back behind him and I guess that meant, you know, we've got to go back that way and he was fed up with this guy or something and he was shaking his finger in his face when they were yelling at each other and that's pretty much the last I saw of the whole situation. I don't know what happened after that because we just kept going. End of section 12. Recording by Aaron Bennett.